Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 5 through 12. And there are Bibles there in the chair back in front of you, as well as the verses will be appear on the screen as we read 1 Samuel 18, 5 through 12. Those who are able, if you'll stand at this time for the reading of God's word, 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 5 through 12. I'll read as you follow along. Bible says, And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him, and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And it came to pass as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments and music. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day and forward. And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house. And David played with his hand as at, all, as at other times, and there was a javelin in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for... Uh... Well, um, we're going to look at the passage of Scripture that uh, correlates with the story there in 1 Samuel chapter 18. And uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, I'll have most of these verses, I think, on the, on the screen there in front of you. But just in case, Psalm 5, uh, the fifth psalm. And as we've said, this is, uh, um, these are David's, uh, this is David's journey through the psalm, and it's uh, the events that were unfolding, the, the pivotal events, pivotal events, if you will, in David's life and the corresponding psalms, though in most cases there was more than one written, and so we won't have the opportunity to look at all of them. David wrote over 70 by most accounts, and so we'll look at uh, a few and carry this for a few more weeks yet, but... David's journey through the Psalms, and tonight uh, we'll finish on this thought, and that is the uh, fifth Psalm, of course, was written as he has his flight from Saul. You know, every time, I, every time that passage is read, and as Andy was reading it there, it's amazing to me, who, who keeps a spear by their dinner table? I mean, really, what kind of, what, <laughs> you know, come over for dinner. If you go over to someone's house and there's a spear by the dinner table, um, you know, you, you, you got to maybe kind of think that. Uh, through a little bit, but uh, nonetheless, and so Saul, man, he just, uh, he eyed David from that point forward, and he was out to uh, get David, had revenge, um, uh, you know, he just, uh, hearing all of the uh, the applause, uh, you know, the ladies were singing, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousand, <clears throat> and by the way, when Saul heard that, man, it just set him off, and uh, the Bible tells us that from that time forward, not only did he eye David, but uh, there was an evil spirit uh, resting upon him as well. So uh, tonight, let's continue with this flight from Saul. Let's begin with prayer. Our Heavenly Father, guide and direct, please help us. And Lord, we are not worthy to ask for it. Lord, forgive us where we fail you, but God, please do help in these few moments. Thank you, Lord, for these that have made the effort to come. 
And uh, week after week, many of these same folks are here and so faithful to your house. God, God, we'd ask you to favor them tonight, and we pray that you'd speak to us as only you can, meet every need, and help us where we need help. I pray that you would bring uh, correction and, Lord, a challenge and, uh, Lord, uh, encouragement. But God, may your will be accomplished in our midst when we ask for your help tonight. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, the first thing we notice in uh, Psalm 5.1, if you have your Bibles open there, I'll, again, I'll try to put most of these on the screen. Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my meditation. And the first thought we have from David is this, David knew whom to ask for help. And it's so important, that is so foundational, because here's David, and it's not every day you're having dinner at somebody's house and they toss a spear your way. But most importantly, David knew that at any time, uh, Saul could, uh, could order his death, order his execution. And uh, David began to doubt and wonder, you know, was God going to come through like he said he was? Remember, David had already been anointed as the uh, successor uh, to Saul, already anointed as the king. But even David begins to doubt and waver because he makes a statement, I shall now one day perish at the hand of Saul. So the first thing we see is David knew whom to ask for help. And that's so important uh, for us as well. Parallel passage, Psalm 121, uh, much later in David's writings, but my help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. So David is reminding later what he prayed earlier, and that is my help comes from God. And uh, we're, we're prone to quickly tell everybody our problems. Uh, I think, uh, uh, did you play this morning, I must tell Jesus, is that right? That's what I thought I remember hearing that. I must tell Jesus, uh, I, I think it was Elisha Hoffman that wrote that, I'm not certain. Um, Elisha Hoffman uh, was, a, was a pastor, and uh, that particular song uh, was written uh, when he was a little frustrated because uh, people kept coming and asking him, hey, for help about a particular matter, and uh, somebody Google it. Andrew's probably Googling it to see if I got it right, but, and maybe I don't. So either way, this is a great story, even if it's not true. Um, but uh, I believe it was Elisha Hoffman, and I think that was the song, I Must Tell Jesus. But he was, uh, he was so disappointed that he didn't have all the answers, and uh, he, he just told, her, told the lady who came to him asking for help, and he was kind of at his, at his end, and he said, what you need to do is go to Jesus. And uh, did we get a thumbs up, Elisha Hoffman? I must there you go. And I believe he was pastoring in the New England area at that time, more than 100 years ago. But the statement, I must tell Jesus, is a great reminder to all of us. Because at the end of the day, you know, sometimes people ask you how you're doing, and uh, you may give an answer, but nobody really cares like the Lord does. And by the way, nobody can do anything about it like the Lord can. Um, you know, I was, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy because, uh, you know, I, I don't really worry about my mortgage like I do our churches. There's not a day goes by I don't think about the church's mortgage. I wish that wasn't the case because I, here's what I'm going to preach, but I don't practice. It's not my mortgage. It's God's mortgage. But as the pastor of the church, it is something that I think about with great regularity. And uh, sometimes people ask me, hey, pastor, is there anything you need? And I usually will either say one million or three million, whichever happens to come to mind, uh, because one million would be great because it'd take care of a whole lot of our loan. Three million would wipe it out and give us a whole, whole lot of buffer space to do things. But, but it's, it's not my mortgage. It's not my house. It's God's house, and it's God's business. And, uh, but sometimes we, we, we try to figure out, how can I do this? How can I make this happen? And we have to learn the lesson that David learned, even though he was pressing against himself somewhat when he did it, and that is, 
As Elisha Hoffman said to that lady, I must tell Jesus. And she said to him, that's exactly what I'll do. She left his office, his study, and then he wrote the words to the song, I must tell Jesus, Jesus can help me, Jesus alone. And so the great lesson from Psalm 5 is David knew. He knew he was in trouble. Make no mistake about it, but he knew whom to ask for help. The second thing, David knew that God was worthy of praise. And uh, notice uh, verse 2 and verse 3, hearken unto the voice. We're in Psalm 5 again. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for unto thee will I pray. My voice shall thou hear in the morning, O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and look up. Then notice Psalm 145, I will extol thee, my God, my God, O King, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. We also looked at Revelation 4.11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. A number of years ago, a gentleman called me on the phone, and uh, he's an older gentleman, and he asked me a question. I answered the phone. I said, hello. I didn't recognize the number. And just real, real plainly, he said, are you praising the Lord today? That was, that's what he said. Most people don't, you know, when you say hello, uh, they don't say that quite like that. Um, and boy, it hit me. And I thought, you know, am I? Because David said, I'm at all times. In other words, um, my praise for him will ever be on my lips. We think about Frances Havergill, who uh, uh, wrote the song, Take My Life and Let It Be. She, uh, she was a school teacher and, uh, and, and I think spoke uh, four or five, six different languages and wrote the song, Take My Life and Let It Be. And the one passage in that song says, uh, Take my lips and let them always only sing. And I'm, I'm missing up the words a little bit there, but the idea is, no matter what I'm saying, no matter where I'm going, no matter what I'm doing, may it always be pointing praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. We brag on a lot of things. If your team's doing well, we brag. If they're not doing well, we don't say much about it, you know? I haven't really discussed football very much this year. My team is 0-11, the only winless team. In fact, they have now set the... I saw on ESPN... They set the record for the earliest uh, elimination from postseason consideration in NFL history. Um, boom. But, um, and so I, I was nervous today. I checked the score, and I said, honey, we're in the red zone. We're only down by a field goal. What happens if we win? I don't want to win. I want to get the number one draft pick. And so as typical, typical bingo fashion, we got an interception. And so we didn't score. Yes, so we lost again. So... Uh, you say, do you really cheer that way? I do at this point because who wants to, why do you want to be one in 10? I mean, it's like one in 10. Yeah. So we're 0 and 11. But you know, it's easy for us when, when something is going great that we're, we're bragging on this, but you know, who's good all the time? The Lord Jesus Christ. He's never late. He's never early. He's always on time in your life. And he is far better than uh, we could ever even imagine. And you think about God's goodness and God's mercy and God's long-suffering and God's grace extended to us. You know, I, I've been thinking much about the verse. It's been on my heart much the last couple of weeks. But the verse that David uh, penned, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest with him. You know, there's a lot of times when people that you might know wouldn't give you the time of day. Sometimes we use that expression. But do you realize that that can never be said about God and you? David asked in a rhetorical fashion, what is man that, in other words, what in the world, that God who spoke the world into existence, 
The, the God who literally, there is nothing too hard for God. God who could, uh, who, who not only spoke the world into existence, he picked up a clump of dirt and breathed into it, and man became a living soul. He fashioned. It's unbelievable how, how powerful, how omnipotent, how omniscient God is, how long-suffering God is, and yet he pauses to think of you. What is man that thou art mindful of him? And so, we have, boy, we talk about this season of Thanksgiving, but each and every day of your life, I would encourage you, as soon as you get up, think about how good God's been. You know, I don't want to just take the, the favor and the goodness of God in my life for granted. And so David said, thou art worthy. So number one, we know that David knew whom to ask for help. David knew that God was worthy of praise. Thirdly, we see in Psalm 5, uh, verse number 4, and I, I think as you look Later in that, uh, uh, that passage from 1 Samuel, we don't really have time to uh, get back to that, but three times in that passage, the Bible says David behaved himself wisely. David behaved himself wisely. And the Bible says that the people saw it and also that Saul witnessed that David behaved himself wisely. Um, David would also write, um, the wicked watcheth the righteous and seeketh to slay them. And I guarantee you this, your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, everybody watches us. Uh, you, you may think, well, I don't have any, uh, nobody's looking up to me. Oh, yes, they are. Oh, yes, they are. And I guarantee you, if you're here as an adult, children are watching you. They watch you in church. They watch how you treat each other. They listen to the words that you say. It's amazing what they'll pick up. I mean, uh, you be around your grandchildren very much, and you say something, and boom, it's, just, it's like uh, there's a parrot there. I mean, they, they, they repeat it, and they pick up on everything. I can still remember as a, as a boy watching and, and seeing people and thinking, boy, that's what I'm looking for. And, and, and I remember conversely, you know, seeing someone, I thought, well, that's not exactly what I want. That's not what I hope to have. And I guarantee you people are watching. So David said, I'm just going to do right. Wait just a second, everybody's against you. I know, but I'm just going to do right. Don't you realize Saul just tried to get you with the spear and it's not going to get any better and he's going to give you his daughter eventually and, and let, let that be a snare to you and he's going to hunt you down. He's going to send his soldiers after you and come even himself, take it upon himself. Yes, but I'm still going to do right. I'm not going to do right just because it's convenient. I'm not going to do right just because it's culturally acceptable. I'm going to do right because it's right to do right. And it's important for us as God's people to make sure that we understand. Here's David in his flight from Saul. What does he learn? I know who to ask for help. I know who is worthy of praise. And I know that I'm going to keep doing right. May I say this? Uh, fourthly, um, I think it's in verse number 8, Psalm 5, verse 8. Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness because of mine enemies. Make thy way straight before my face. In other words, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what direction, I don't know what path, I don't know what choice to make, and so I'm trusting you. The Bible tells us, um, and I, I think I've got it in here, yes, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, so familiar. What, what a familiar passage of Scripture this is. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. What David was saying is, look, it's a little bit foggy right now, but I'm going to trust God's leading and direction. The Bible tells us that uh, God knows the way that we take. Uh, he understands it all, and it may not make sense to us. And I guarantee you right now, probably somebody in a crowd this size on a Sunday night, there's somebody that, and you're in your heart and mind, you're thinking, I'm following the Lord's leading, I'm following the Lord's direction, and right now it just kind of looks like a fog. And I'm not sure what's going to happen, I'm not sure how it's all going to turn out, but uh, I want to continually be trusting the Lord. 
How foolish is it for us as a child of God to say, I trust him for salvation, but for everything else, let me, let me see what I can do. And a lot of times that's how we live. Come on, I've been guilty of that. And if nobody else, okay, I'll just pick on me then. Feel free to listen in. But I, I know that I have no hope of heaven on my own. I know that I, I, if I could, if it was by works, mine would never be good enough. I'm a sinner by birth, but a sinner by choice. I, I would wonder, how much good would I have to do? So I, I, I know that getting baptized doesn't, doesn't merit God's favor. I know that joining a church and putting in your tithes and offerings and all those things are good and important, but they don't have anything to do with salvation. It is not by works of righteousness, but according to His mercy, He has saved us. And I think everybody here that professes to be born again would rest upon that with great confidence. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly, that means completely, lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And, and, and by the way, we all know that. Now, then let me ask you this. What about your life? Do you try to trust God's leading and direction in every area? No, I'll just trust your heart. Why? Sometimes people say, well, he has a good heart. Well, not according to the Bible. <laughs> Oh, he means well. No, not according to the Word of God. And, and we throw out these little things. Oh, he's such a good heart. No. Uh, the, what does God say about your heart? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Arguably the greatest Christian of the New Testament is the Apostle Paul. And he, under the authority of the Holy Spirit, um, said that he was the chiefest of sinners. So I realized that I have to trust him completely for salvation. Then why do I get in the way of God with everything else in my life? Because so many times, if I don't think this is working out, then I'm going to go ahead and try this. And if I don't think this situation is going the way that I think that it should, then I'm going to, I'm going to kind of bypass God. And then here's what happens. We get into trouble, and then we expect God to bail us out. And by the way, God is not obligated to fix our messes. Sometimes we feel like, well, boy, I'm in trouble now. You know, it's like Peter, when he steps out of the water, at least he was stepping out on faith. But he had enough sense when he started to sink to say, Lord, save me, and the Lord did. But he was following the Lord's direction because the Lord's, he said, if, it, if it's you, bid me to come into the water, and he told him to come. So he was following the Lord. But many times in life, we go completely independent of God. I trust him for salvation, but I, I think I can take care of everything else. I think I can take care of uh, choosing my life's partner, choosing my vocation, uh, choosing how I'm going to live and where, what I'm going to do and, and all of those things. I think I've got a handle on all of that. Really? Because I don't, I don't, want, to, uh, I don't want to make decisions independent of God and then ask God to bail me out when they don't go so well. So David said, look, I'm trusting you. Why? Well, he just had a spear thrown at him. You know, it was dinner, you know, it wasn't dinner in a movie, it was dinner in a spear. I mean, that's what his was, you know, and all of a sudden he's ducking and he's running for his life and he says, God, I'm just going to have to trust you. And so it's important for us to trust God's leading and direction. Then, may I say this, number five, David knew that God alone was trustworthy. You say, why? Notice verse number nine, for there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Perhaps a reference to Saul, I don't know, because if possible, because Saul had already told him, he said, look, he said, you're going to be the next, next guy in the kingdom. I mean, it was all, by the way, it was all great when, when, when he's holding Goliath's head. Saul's loving him then, you know? He was like, he was the founder of the commercial, I'm loving it, all right? Some of you didn't even get that. That's okay. All right, here he is, and, and David's whole, 
Thank you. I got one laugh, and it was late, but that's okay. All right? I'm thinking of a Diet Coke right now. I'm loving it. And so here he is, and at that moment, Saul said, you the man. That's my guy right there. But everything changed. And so now David is now telling us there's no faithfulness in their mouth. Here's a guy that told me I was awesome. And by the way, there's nothing so short-lived as the applause of man. And sometimes, you know, you can watch it in sports. I mean, in one moment, in one moment, Oregon fans are thinking their quarterback's going to be the number one draft pick. And then last night, they're thinking, well, they're just not. So I'm going to leave that alone. Hey, I'm not picking on you 0-11 right here, all right? So, so I'm not picking on you at all. But my, my point is, man, here's David. You're the man. And the next moment, I want to kill him. And so he makes this statement. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is very wickedness. Their throat is an open sepulcher. They flatter with their tongue. In other words, I can't trust anybody but the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, I'm going to follow God's direction, and I'm not going to make the mistake to be hoodwinked and deceived by man. And by the way, uh, we've already talked about this morning, we talked about goodness as as a trait or characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit. But David knew that God alone was trustworthy. And uh, it's so important to remember that. Then, let me hustle on here. Uh, verse, uh, verse number, uh, let's see, no, point number six. David then prayed for God's divine intervention. By the way, I love David's prayers. Of course, partly because they're in the Bible. I guess that's a good reason to say you love them. But David, you know, sometimes it's amazing. David, and I'm going I'm to paraphrase here. David would pray and he would say, kill him, uh, about his enemy. He, 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 was, he, he just went right to the point. Now, I'm not saying you should pray, kill your enemies, but David never beat around the bush when he came to praying to God. He didn't try to wax eloquent. Now, he did, and, it, and his language and speech was beautiful, certainly, um, but he prayed and asked God for divine intervention. No verse, notice verse number 10. He said, destroy them. <laughs> Think about this. This is Saul. This is the king of Israel. God, take him out. That's what, that's what he's saying. Take him out. Why? I'm running for my life. I can't handle this. And so, God, I need you to do something quick. And by the way, it's no different than Peter's prayer. Peter's prayer, Lord, save me. He didn't beat around the bush. So here's David. Destroy thou them, O God. Notice, and it's amazing. Let them fall by their own counsels. In other words, everything they do, let it not work out real well. And, and, and not only that, cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions. But notice this, for they have rebelled against thee. The rebellion against God was this. David knew that he had been anointed the next king. And he knew that anybody that stood in the way of God's plan was rebelling against God. And by the way, that's so true in life. Those that rebel against, you know, it's like people, people get all been out of shape and they, they want the Bible removed and they, they don't want to talk about Jesus, particularly even in this season, you got people that are protesting and all that kind of stuff. And by the way, it's always puzzled me. If the Bible is not real, then why does it bother you that, I mean, we might as well put Sleeping Beauty on a, on a, on a card or something or Bambi uh, because those are all fairy tales and yet they don't feel that way about the word of God. They want it wiped out. It's like Voltaire said about Scripture. He said it would be removed from history uh, before he ever left this life. And the house in which he died was used as a Bible distribution center after his death. It's amazing how God, how God tweaked that on Voltaire. But here he's saying their rebellion is against you, not against me. 
And by the way, the, the battle is always the Lord's. And so David, uh, I chased that rabbit, so I'm going to leave it alone. And I'll put it back in there because I want to get through this, these last couple thoughts. But the thing is that's so clear is David said, I want God to intervene on my behalf. Now, let me ask you this. When you pray for whatever you're, listen, look here, look here. Whatever you're facing right now, would you, would you be willing? And, and I guarantee you there's a myriad of problems in here. Man that's born a woman is a few days and full of trouble. There's not a person in here from the platform to the last chair that doesn't have something right now. In fact, if I asked you right this moment, what's the one thing right now that you would love for God to intervene in? Most people wouldn't have difficulty. In fact, you'd probably go, just one? You know, can I get, can I get, can I get two or three? Probably one right now. Have you ever got to a place in your life where you were so absolutely and utterly dependent upon Him that you said, God, go to work on my behalf. I've got to have divine help in this right now. Now, I'm not talking about commanding or ordering God to do something, because I, I don't think we have the opportunity to do that. I think, that's, I think that's arrogant to approach the throne of grace that way. I don't, these people that want to go around and order and command God to do something, they forget who God is. You're not going to boss God. Like David said, what is man that thou art mindful of him? He sits in the heavens, and we're right down here, okay? But at the same token, what right now is the one thing that you would say to God, please intervene for me? I guarantee you, everybody here has something. And by the way, do you know God wants to hear you say that? He wants to hear you pray that way. He wants to hear you, one, express your dependence, and two, demonstrate your confidence by saying, I'm absolutely dependent upon you, and I know that if this is going to happen, it's way beyond me. It's way out of my range. And so, God, would you do this? And now your prayer might not be, destroy thou them, let them fall by their own counsels. It may not be, wipe them out, cast them out. It may not be that. But I guarantee you right now, every person in here has something, and you are saying, God, would you take care of that for me? I have no hope and no answer apart from you. So David prayed that God would intervene on his behalf. And so... uh, let me share just a couple of verses, and then I'll move on to the last thought, and we'll be done. I love this passage. Lamentation chapter 3, we'll look at verses 22 through 26. It is the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed because His compassions fail not. The only reason you and I even drew, drew a breath today is because of God's mercy. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Now, notice this. Therefore, will I hope in Him. Think about how, how, how simple that verse is. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore will I hope in Him. Uh, some of us, we're hoping in talents, we're hoping in abilities, we're hoping in other people's influence, and we're hoping in finances, we're hoping in academics. And the prophet says, I will hope in Him. Whatever it is tonight, hope in Him. Uh, notice further, the Lord is good unto them that wait for Him to the soul that seeketh him. 
It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Several things mentioned in that passage, just very, very quickly. The writer of Lamentations, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, the, the lamentation or lamenting the sorrow expressed in this book, he said, I'm seeking, I'm hoping, and I'm waiting. It's one of the hardest, those things collectively are some of the hardest things to do for the child of God. Because whatever that thing is you, you just thought of and the Spirit of God reminded you about and you said, God, would you whatever, you don't mind seeking and we, we, we are hoping, but that waiting. For the average child of God, that's the worst thing because we're not patient. But God said it, it, it is a good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. We talk about that in the, in the instance of salvation literally, but also many times it means, in a broader sense, his deliverance, his answer, his coming through for you. And that's what he's expressing there. And then I get to the last thought is this, David's journey through the psalm, flight from Saul, and that is this. David knew God's in control. You know... I, here, look here, look here. A lot of times we say this and we almost say it so flippantly, it's like, yeah, whatever. If someone comes to me and they're, they're going through it and they've got a real big, and by the way, whatever you're going through, it's real big to you. I, it doesn't matter what it is. Could be job, could be relationship, could be finances, could be health. Whatever it is, it's a big deal. I'm not, I'm not measuring one over the other. But whatever it is, it's a big deal. And so we say so many times, we hear this, Romans 8, 28, still in the book. We say, God's in charge. And sometimes we say, yeah, I know, but I really need him to do something about this. I need him to wipe out that enemy. I need him to fix this problem. I need him to take care of this. But David never lost sight of the fact that God was in control. And by the way, when he says this, Listen to me. This is so important. He's not yet delivered. Okay? Notice what he says. Psalm 5. But let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy, because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. For thou, Lord, will bless the righteous with favor. Will thou compass him as with a shield? Compass. We get our, you know, compass. It means surround. That's what that means. And so David says, look, I'm not only trusting you, I know that ultimately you're in charge. He's in control. And listen, may I say this? He either is or he isn't. And whatever is going on at your life at any given moment, either God's in charge or he's not. Either he's got this situation or he doesn't. Either he has you or he doesn't. And so when David is running for his life and he's praying, God, kill him, wipe him out. Now, by the way, David didn't take it upon himself because remember he said, I won't even lift my hand against God's anointed. Sometimes when we pray, if God doesn't answer speedily, we jump in there and we go ahead and slay whoever's in the way. David didn't do that. He said, I'm going to trust him, and I'm going to continue to trust him. As Job would say, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. 
He he said, no matter what happens, I'm still going to trust him. I'm still going to pray. I'm still going to be dependent because I know that God is in charge. And two thoughts jump out every time I think about that. And that is, number one, as a child of God, God has you. Do you realize the Bible tells us that when you got saved, you got put into the palm of his hand? Okay, and and then he took his other hand, if you will, figuratively speaking, and put that over the top. Pardon the grammar, but you ain't getting out of there. That's a good thing. It it means that whatever is going to happen in your life, it's going to be within the framework and the will of God. You, You can't escape God's hand in your life as a child of God. That doesn't mean you can't rebel and be disobedient. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying there. But it means God has you. When you got saved, boom, 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 there you are. That's pretty good. So if God's got you, then whatever is going on out here, you know, I, was, I stepped up here to preach and this little fly landed right here. And I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to smack him away, but... Um, I, I just kind of, but, but he was a little bit of a nuisance just kind of right there, all right? But I ignored him and, and let him go on his way. It's getting cold. He'll probably die soon anyway. But you know what happens to us here as a child of God? We're wrapped up like this. And most of that stuff, it's like a... You know? And especially if you're trying to sleep. You know, you just, you, you just lay down. You're trying to get some rest, and there he is. And you see him, and he's over on the blinds, and he lands. And you're looking for the fly swat, but you don't want to move because you're afraid he'll get away. And so you just grab whatever's handy, a pillow, shotgun, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. You're trying to get that guy. Next thing you know, your room's a wreck, and you think, I got him. You lay back down, you know, and there he is, right? Okay, nobody's ever done that, right? Okay, none of you guys have ever chased. I've trapped them in bathrooms before. And then snuck in there, shut the door quickly behind me, ready to do battle. <laughs> okay? Nobody's never done. Come on, don't leave me hanging. I've been so transparent today. Don't leave me hanging on that. I've done that. Shut that door. Put a towel underneath it. Okay, I haven't gone to that extreme. But man, I'm going to get him now. But in life, whatever that problem is, it's nothing but a little old pesky fly. Because God's got you. And he's got whatever that is. David said, man, I'm running for my life. But even if I am, and I don't know anybody literally who's running for your life right now from a guy chasing you with a spear. That's a big deal. But whatever you're facing, and whatever point you feel the way David felt, David ultimately said, you know, end of the day, I'm not yet delivered, but I know that God has me. Shall we stand?